You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Really glad you're here. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and we are going to be in Amos, but I need to take a little while to get there. First, let me explain why Amos is that we're, if you're newer here, um, we're going through the whole Bible this year as a church, reading it individually, also in discipling communities called grow groups, and then uh, and then also whoever's preaching, most of the time preaching from one of the one of the assigned readings that week. So we'd love to invite you to start reading the Bible with us uh, or uh, to restart if you've kind of fallen out of the habit of it. So would love to invite you in on that. Um, so we're, Amos is one of, uh, there's some assigned chapters in there, one of the things we we're reading this week. Uh, but what I feel like I need to do is I'm going to get to the theme that we're going to talk about in a minute. But I feel like I need to offer a little bit of a primer to how to read Amos first and really, truly also a primer on how to understand the prophets in general. Uh, because um, we're in a section, most of the summer, not the only thing we'll read, but most of what we're going to be reading this summer are the prophets. And um, that really what they are, um, oftentimes you could describe them like a DA, a district attorney, like we've got here in Lubbock. Um, you could think of them that way, is there, there's the law, and what they're going to do is they're like covenant prosecutors. They're going to point to the law that was laid out um, via uh, Moses by God, and especially in the book of Deuteronomy, and then uh, are going to say, hey, look, it was laid out right here, and even the penalties are laid out in, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy as Israel was going to enter into the land that God had given them. The law is restated, clarified, even some new elements and some of the rights, privileges, responsibilities of being in the land. And they're going to point back and say, look, here's, the, here's what, the, what it said. And then they'll, they'll get real specific about what was going on in that particular time period. So before we jump into Amos 9, I would actually like to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And uh, so kind of keep a finger in Deuteronomy 4, keep a finger in um, Amos chapter 9. These are hundreds of years that separate these two writings, uh, both, we believe, inspired by God. Uh, but I, I want you to see this first because I think it'll help you see, um, like, Amos isn't just flying off the handle out of clear blue. Like, he's pointing back to something here and saying, look, we were, you know, God was very clear about this. And so here we go. Um, Deuteronomy 4, and I'm going to start reading in verse 25 here on the screen if you don't have a copy of the Bible along with you. It says, um, when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, so in other words, a long time in the future, uh, like in the book of Amos, um, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and so that's idolatry in all of its forms, some kind of replacement for God, and doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, so that kind of evil could be almost anything, something where you violate God's law. Verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, uh, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. All right, so let me explain a little bit of a timeline if this will help. All right, so um, you got Moses that was taking God's people into the promised land. 
Um, that would be hundreds of years before what happens here in, in uh, Amos. They get into the land. There's a series of judges. Eventually, there's a king, King Saul. He's no good. God raises up a man that's mostly after his own heart, David. And David becomes the ruler. And then God makes a covenant with David that his descendants will rule over the house of Israel forever. He has a son, Solomon. Solomon rules. But Solomon, right after his reign, the kingdom splits north and south. The north rejects David's lineage, like the dynasty of David, and the south, like Judah, stays with it. And that's the environment that Amos finds himself in. And what's interesting is, is hundreds of years before that, Moses, um, God inspired him to write these words and says, hey, look, just know that even when you've had children and your children have children and you've been there for a long time, that when you, if you start chasing after idols and you start doing wicked stuff, then just know that I'll raise up foreign invaders and they will rip you out of the land and they'll take you away in exile and you'll be scattered. And I'm not going to totally wipe you out because of the covenant that I made with you, but just know that's going to happen. And historically, we actually know that's exactly what does happen. Happen In 722, um, the northern kingdom is pretty much rolled up by Assyria. We know that in around 587 BC, that Judah, the southern kingdom, the same thing happens with Babylon. So we know that historically that the warning that Moses gave here um, is going to be um, restated. We're about to see now in Amos chapter, not really, really in the first eight chapters, it's restated um, as well. Uh, but, but Amos is going to be pointing back to this saying, look, man, God told you the story of this. All right, so before I jump into Amos and start to walk through the specific things here, that I think now it's a good time to go ahead and introduce the theme of this whole thing because, you know, the first eight and a half chapters of the book of Amos are about judgment, all right? And, um, I mean, could there be a less popular topic to get up and talk about, which would be God's judgment? Because um, this is something that I think people of all times kind of hate the topic of it, but maybe nobody hates it more than in our current moment that we're in right now. Like, we really hate it. Now, here's what's interesting. I just want to point out some inconsistencies is that every person in here and every person you know really hates the idea of judgment and are simultaneously like really judgmental. That's like super interesting. Like everybody hates it, but are simultaneously. Like I'll start with a real basic one. So if you have ever said, or if you've ever had someone say to you, like with a snarl and a finger pointing, and it may be all caps on Twitter or something like that, but, uh, but that effect of stop saying that, you are so judgmental, stop judging me. Uh, so what's interesting about that is in doing that, you have what? You've judged them, right? I mean, that's what's interesting about it. You are so judgmental. Don't ever do that again. Ah, wait a second. I think you just did the same thing. Uh, so, like, we, we don't even know how to relate without it in some ways. Now, here's, I'll give you one that's more specific to Christians um, that you probably have experienced if you're a follower of Jesus. Um, now, it must be stated that sometimes we bring... Uh, we bring all of this on our own head uh, by being jerks and you know stirring stuff up and misunderstanding what things to speak on, what things to be silent on, or or feeling like we need to be really, 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 and then add about ten more really clear uh, reallys uh, on being clear on different stances on things, so people really understand where you stand, so they don't think you're soft on sin or something like that. And so sometimes we bring it on our own heads. But let's just even assume, for argument's sake, that you've been really kind, diplomatic loving to someone, but then one way or another, like it comes up like, hey, so do you think I'm living wrong? Do you think it's wrong to do X, Y, and Z? Or do you think it's right to do A, B, and C? And you say, yeah, hey, look, I love you and I'm going to be your friend regardless, but yes, I actually do think that thing is wrong or I think that thing is right and like I can't sign off on that. Like I think it's actually really harmful to you, harmful to society, dishonoring to the Lord. So yeah, like I can't, I, I don't think that's right. And you, you may have experienced this where someone will say, hey, listen, 
you know, keep that to yourself. Like if you've got that viewpoint, you need to, um, views of religion and morality that flow from what you think in the Bible, that needs to be kept just to you personally. Like you don't need to be imposing that on anyone else. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say what I'm doing is wrong. And of course, while that's happening, of course, you're making a judgment and you're putting your views that you want them to adopt and so on and so forth. And so it's just a really interesting moment where we really recoil against anyone's saying, including God, that what we're doing is wrong, and yet we do it um, in reverse all the time. And so it's just like this really interesting moment that we find ourselves. So I just want to acknowledge the fact that um, this topic is a hard one, and when you read the prophets, you're going to see this all the time, and um, that everybody here is probably uncomfortable with it. There are some of you who aren't Christians, that the reason you're not a Christian is because you're like, oh, see, this is what I can't stand about God and religion, is that, well, I don't know why he's so mad. Like, I don't get it. And some of you are Christians, and like it's causing significant problems even in your faith when you read chapters like this, because you're like, man, I don't understand. Like, I, what about the love? What about the grace? Now, We're going to get to love and grace. In fact, next week's sermon is going to be dedicated to really holding these things in tension of God's judgment and his mercy. But um, I just want to point this out and even just say it out loud about God's judgment, um, that it's an uncomfortable topic for everybody, Christian or not. But to say this up front, I think that um, just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean that we don't need to go there. Um, there, There's something beautiful about God's nature and something where um, you're you're not going to be able to domesticate him and kind of put him in your pocket and tell him how, kind of explain it, how he ought to feel about different things that I'm hoping today when we're done that you may sense even the wildness of God and uh, the fierceness of God and the, the justice of God in a way that you haven't before. And it may make mercy pop more to you and understand that he's not just somebody that you can kind of go talk into your own perspective of this moment you live in, uh, but there's something transcendent, like he's God and you're not, and we probably need more of that uh, in us. In fact, let me just take the probably out. All right, so now back to Amos 9. So with all of that, I know we hate the idea of judgment, uh, you're going to see Amos pull from this. There's three main things that the, that, uh, the book of Amos covers that we're not going to have time for, but just know that he's kind of pulling the summary of the whole argument together here. Um, one is their idolatry, which we saw in Deuteronomy 4. Two is going to be the mistreatment of the poor, which that would be one of the wicked things that's also addressed in Deuteronomy 4. And then the third thing, uniquely in the book of Amos, is a little, little bit of a religious cover-up, or they, essentially it would be like, hey, I go to church, so it's fine. You know, like it's fine that I do these terrible things and I cheat people in business and I'm not faithful and loyal and I don't do what I say I'm going to do and I mistreat people. If I don't have to pay them, I won't and on and on. But it's fine because I'm a deacon or something like that. I mean, this is before there was a church, but I'm using that in a way um, that that's essentially like you had a wild Saturday night, but I'm going to go to church and then I'll make up for it. And honestly, that's how pretty much almost all other world religions work is, hey, just come pray some prayers, give some money to the poor, do some good things, and it'll get God off your back for a little bit. And, um, and, and even back then, long before Jesus, God's saying, I'm not playing these little religious games because you show up in a worship service and your heart is wicked, dead set on doing harm and wicked things that coming to religious service, like that, that, that cosmetic kind of lipstick on a pig kind of thing. So um, Amos 9, um, look at this. Are you not like the Cushites uh, to me, O people of Israel? Uh, declares the Lord, did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Syrians from Kerr? So he's mentioning all of these non-Jewish people. He's saying, you're like, you're like me to them if you're going to reject me. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. Uh, so he's saying, I'm just going to level it. 
Um, it, it, just like Deuteronomy 4, except um, here's even a, a hint of grace here. I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Because there was a lot of people in Amos's day that were saying, eh, what, God isn't going to do anything. It's fine. We're still doing our life. Nothing's going to happen. It's, there's not any judgment coming. And he's saying, oh yeah, there, there's one coming here. Um, there's this fierce part of God. Um, justice is coming. And again, um, this is something that we don't really like to see. Amos, all he's doing is saying all the, that Moses talked about hundreds of years ago is happening right now. And here's specifically, the first eight chapters, you can go read it. This and this and this. And he's giving it in kind of HD so they can see exactly what happened and exactly what uh, God said he would do through Moses, that they'd be kicked out of the land and there'd just be a few of them that would make it is about to happen. So he's just telling them exactly all of that. So again, this hits us in a point of like, yikes, this is just so intense. Um, why so hardcore? Um, and especially in a moment where um, maybe a generation or two ago, the verse that Christian or not, that almost all Americans knew, you might see it behind the uprights on an extra point. It would be John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That was a verse that almost all Americans knew. I think the new verse right now that almost all Americans know is, because uh, it's kind of like the get out of jail free card in Monopoly, is don't judge lest you be judged. And so you could just play that at any time. If somebody says that they disagree with you on something, you're like, hmm. And it always surprises me a little bit when people um, even say, hey, look, you're not, you're not my judge. Don't say what I'm doing is wrong. God's my judge. And I'm always like, okay. I mean, but if you think that that's going to be like an easier court, because people are super easy to dupe. They really are. Um, I mean, it's just, you can, you can ignore them, mute them, unfollow them, quit hanging out with them, and you can kind of explain things to them and say, well, I know that you got mad at me, but let me tell you my intentions. Really, I was just trying to do this. My heart was in the right place. Okay, well, and like you can almost imagine you talking your way out of, of judgment in the last day in the same way, or like you can mute God or something. Like, I disagree with your Bible. And he's like, Okay, um, I mean, you can, but, but like it doesn't take away from the truth of it and the final authority of it resting from God. Like you can mute him all you want, but at the end of the day, like you got this fierce God um, that you're standing face to face with. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't know that you're gonna find yourself with it, e it being easy to talk him out of something he's already laid out clearly in his word over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So let me try to reframe a little bit uh, justice and judgment for a moment though, because I feel like a little bit I need to defend God on this one because you can misunderstand what we mean uh, by justice and judgment and be like, see, I'm out. If there's justice and judgment, I don't want any of that because judgment's always bad while you're making a judgment on that. But anyways, so um, here's the thing that um, something that was really helpful for me on this conversation was I read a, an Eastern European um, a guy named Wolf the road on this. And he lived in a part of the world where there was a lot of racial tension to the point of like ethnic cleansing, all right? And he's written extensively on forgiveness. And you can type in Wolf, V-O-L-F, and then forgiveness. And he's got articles, he's got books. I mean, it's tremendous. 
and, and someone that I think speaks with a unique authority in it because really the question in his part of the world is, okay, well, how do you get out of the cycle of, okay, you killed some of mine and one of these was my brother, so now we're going to have a reprisal on you and we're going to get our justice now and we're going to take it out on you and you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And so on a societal level, even that question of what does forgiveness look like, Wolf would argue that twin truths that Amos is going to cover today in chapter 9 of God's justice and his mercy um, that was established through Jesus' death and resurrection, these two twin truths are really the only means by which you can actually love an enemy and get out of the cycle of reprisals, whether it's two different ethnicities and races that are constantly lobbing grenades, maybe quite literally, maybe verbal or quite literally for where he lived, or it might be a husband and wife that hate each other's guts, or two people that used to be friends that don't like each other now. Like, how do you, how do you get out of the cycle? And he would say, uh, because of the justice of God, because of the, the justice of God and the fact that there will be a future judgment, it actually frees you up to say, you know what? I don't have to have the final word here, even if it's a societal wrong. Like, I'm going to try to speak where I can. We live in a representative democracy, so we should be involved in those kind of things. But at the end of the day, like, I don't have to get the final word. I don't have to have a reprisal. I don't have to do that because I can entrust, um, ultimately, the justice of God that there will be a day of not only mercy, but judgment where there's been wrongdoing. And God's going to make it right. On a more personal level, some people in this room may really feel the societal part, uh, but others of you in this room, all of us in this room are going to feel the personal one. Um, So for instance, some of you in here have been abused at some point in the past. And this has been a real problem over the years for you. Like you've, you've like simmered in resentment and that, that the person that did you wrong is almost living rent free in your head and in your heart for years and years now. And like, you just can't, you can't, and I'm not saying you should be able to move on from that without any scars and woundedness, but it's like, you're just holding on to that resentment and it almost keeps you warm at night. Like, how do you, how do you move on? Um, how do you move to a place of going, you know what? I'm going to just entrust the judgment of God to that person that took that from me. Like, how do you, and Wolf would argue that that's, there's no other way to be able to do that other than the fact of knowing that we have a just God that, listen, they, they didn't get away with anything with you. I mean, maybe now, maybe they avoided prosecution right now, but they didn't get away with anything. Like there's a final day of reckoning coming and trust me, they didn't get off easy right? And then when you marry that with that twin truth of the fact that God redeems and restores through the resurrection, you can hope that he'll make it beautiful and new again alongside of that. That's actually how you can let that kind of thing go and that kind of pain go. Or even on a more personal level, who in this room hasn't had a time where you start to learn that someone's saying things about you maybe, or like you're, or even misconstruing events that happened and saying them in a way that isn't fair or honest about what happened. All of us have experienced that. Like, what do you do when we're comes back to you that they are representing events in a dishonest way. And apart from God's justice and the fact that he will judge, and then secondly, the hope that he will make all things new through the gospel of grace, Jesus' death and resurrection, um, what you need to do is, again, more of an interpersonal reprisal. Like, you try to get out and say your side of the story, and you try to cut underneath them. You try to ruin them. You even call them out and you do whatever needs to happen. So they move down, your story moves up. Uh, But here's the thing for a Christian, whether it's societal or more personal, you're able to say, you know what, man, 
some of those things are coming back to me. They really wounded me. But I'm going to entrust my reputation to the Lord. And the reason I can do that is because at the end of the day, God will judge all things in a very right way. I might even be wrong on this one. He will judge things in a right way, and he'll make all things new. And because of that, I don't need a personal reprisal, and I don't have to get the final word. Even husband and wife that hate each other's guts, I don't have to put you in your place and, well, I took out the trash and you did the lawn. You know, none of that. Like we're, we're not going to keep score on all these things. You don't get the final word. You don't even have to have the final word. I'm not arguing against boundaries at all, but rather for forgiveness. And he makes this powerful argument. So there's something beautiful about God's justice that actually enables forgiveness, enables reconciliation. And even if it wouldn't be appropriate in the case of abuse to have a relationship with your abuser, could get to a point where you can finally forgive from your heart even and let some of that resentment go only possible in trusting a God who is just and a God who is merciful that can make things new. So even if it was a tough life circumstance, so with all of this, you, you may say, okay, I see that's a more positive take at least on, on God's judgment, but is there any hope? And the thing about Amos is, is that even though the book talks a lot about judgment, um, there's a pivot here at the very end, and it's there for a purpose that the book would conclude on a very hopeful note to Israel saying, look, all of this is true, uh, but there's hope. It's that judgment doesn't get the final word. And so what I want to do in the same way I started this sermon, I want to go back to Deuteronomy 4. And because the hope is also there in Deuteronomy, as well as in Amos 9, as Moses really kind of follows that same arc. So look at this. I'm sorry, as Amos follows that same arc as Moses. So Deuteronomy 4, look at these verses here, uh, 29 through 31. Again, hundreds of years before Amos's moment. Uh, but from there, you will seek the Lord with your God and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. When you're in tribulation and all of these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and you will obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God. Beautiful. And so what this is saying is, is look, um, you know, I've, I've laid out my law to you. I've set the terms and there's going to be a point when your children's children's children are going to follow after idols, do wicked things. I'm going to kick them out of the land. It's going to be brutal. But when you're sitting there in Babylon someday and you go, what have we done? We've put all of our hope in these idols. What have we done? Why have we done it? Um, am I too far gone? Is God sick of me? Am I at a point of no return? Then Moses hundreds of years earlier is saying, Absolutely not. Anytime you're ready and you say, kind of like the uh, prodigal son, Jesus, Jesus had a beautiful uh, parable about this, and you had all these beautiful things at home, um, your father's care, but you wanted to take it on the road, and you left, and you wanted, did what you wanted to do, and you may wonder if you're too far gone. Some of you in this room right now are wondering that. Like you, may, you may still be even going to church, but you've been living down a road of unbelief for a long time. You've been living in like kind of two lives for a long time, where you've got a public persona and a private life that's very different. And some of us have been living in that for a long, long time. And you wonder, am I too far gone? And the answer is no. Like any time, like maybe right now, like you stop and you can return. The words of Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, are saying, anytime you're ready, you can come home. Now see it in Amos, beautifully. Um, in that day, I'll raise up verse 11. This is Amos 9. So this is the very end of it. After all of that judgment, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David. So this is David's descendants um, that are going to come down the line, that Jesus Christ would um, come from this line of David's kings um, that has followed and I'll, has fallen and, and I will repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in days of old. So there's going to be a renewal of that, that lineage of David at some point that they may possess the remnant of Edom 
and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, um, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all of the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them. I mean, do you see the same kind of language that Moses is using? He's just saying, hey, that's our moment right now. And just know that even though judgment's coming, that it's not the final word, that there's hope. And that hope is gonna be in the line of David that I'm gonna rebuild. It's like torn down. It's like a tent that's been torn down, but I'm gonna make a new one. I'm gonna reestablish it. And then all this language of the wine will begin to flow and times will be good again. Now, here's, here's what this looks like. And you'll see this a lot with Old Testament prophecy, and I've used this analogy before, is imagine a mountain range, and like our family for years, my wife's family especially, are, are the ones that go there. They'll go to Red River, New Mexico, and as you're going through Springer and um, up, up around the corner, you'll begin to see uh, mountains there, and especially as you get closer to Cimarron, and as you, as you do that, you, it'll look just like a, a wall of mountains that are in front of you, and, um, and like and that's how Old Testament prophecy will work. Like this is all lumped in here about, hey, I'm going to fix David's line and the wine will flow and it's going to be great. And there's a day of renewal coming. If you'll return to me, then, then I'll have you and it's going to be great. All right. Um, all this, these pictures. And it looks like it's all like a mountain range, like it's one thing. But as you actually get into the mountain range, you realize there's tremendous depth there. And some of the things were more preliminary. Like initially, there is a restoration of David's kingly dynasty. That does happen um, even in the latter part parts of the prophetic writings we'll see. But then ultimately, this is talking about Jesus who would live and teach and die and be resurrected, and there would be obedience from all nations, and that's even still happening as we make disciples of all peoples. So, so that happens there. But even then, as you continue to drive down that windy road, you realize, oh goodness, there's, that looked like it was just one of these peaks up here close, but that's Wheeler Peak. That's the tallest peak in New Mexico. It's gigantic. It was just further back. And you realize that prophecy is working that way where you start going through there and you realize, oh, there's some things that are going to be... Um, at the the very end, like that imagery of the wine flowing and think like that, that's like heaven, you know, um, it, it's, it's a mountain range of some partial fulfillment, but there's a day coming where it's going to be made all right and it's going to be fixed and healed and it's never too late. You can either turn to him for the first time right now or return to him uh, no matter how far, even if it's been a rough day or week or year or decade, he will have you back. Even if you don't think he will, this is proof of it. He will, if you return to him uh, because of the grace of of Jesus. Um, I saw a tweet this week by Tim Keller, and I thought it was a beautiful restatement of this hope. And he said, um, if the resurrection is true, it's all going to be okay. You know? And so again, let's put Wolf and Keller together and these twin truths. Um, it's all going to be okay because justice does not live in our hands. It's in God's. And it's all going to be okay because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And so will you if you're a follower of Christ. And all this is going to be made okay. The things that you feel, the pain points you feel are all going to be made right in the end. Isn't that beautiful, y'all? Isn't that a beautiful hope um, that we can entrust judgment to him, but we can also entrust hope. And judgment isn't the final word, but hope is. It's what it means to be a Christian. And that's the path of Moses. It's the path of Amos. It's the path of Jesus Christ. It's the foundation of Jesus's church. 
And so here's really the question I want to call to you is there's tremendous hope. Even though I know we, we hate judgment and we hate the idea of it, maybe now there's a new angle on that and a new perspective on that. Um, that now we can see it's a beautiful thing that we can entrust to the Lord um, and, and realize that that's actually a way, even a pathway to reconciliation and forgiveness and peace. Um, but there's a hope here that's available to you at any time. And the question is, is not, are you going to find hope in something? You're already finding strategies for hope right now. You already are. Um, the point is, is that they are all limited outside of putting your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, all of them. Um, even like I've come out of the gate strong on my vacation game this summer. And um, I need you to know that even sitting in a beach with nothing going on, the thing I can fantasize about going, man, if only I didn't have any problems and was just sitting there and no, no kids pestering me, none of that, um, that you're like, man, that's a dark take on children. Okay, well, whatever, just raise them for a little longer. And, uh, and, <laughs> You're just sitting there and thinking, this is, this is going to be great. But what's funny is the inward machinery in my heart never, never stops. Like the restlessness that's here. Like even a hope of the vacation and your circumstances in life changing don't ultimately fix what we need at the deepest level. Only hope in Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and someday making it all right, um, can do that. So um, my prayer is going to be that all of us can entrust ourselves to both a just God and a merciful God. And actually, the cross actually blends both of those two things in uh, beautifully. So I'm going to pray over us. Lord, would you, um, whether it's for the first time for someone or as a, a renewal of someone that's walked away from you, which is really all of our story, even, um, even if just momentarily, um, that, Lord, we know that our hope is in you, and because of the resurrection, it is all going to be okay. We can entrust you, uh, ourselves to you, and the fact that you alone will ultimately judge. We can even let go of resentment, let go of hurt feelings, let go of interpersonal conflict, um, and even um, there could be reconciliation where it's appropriate. So, Lord, let it be, um, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.